It has been my personal experience as a pastoral counselor that most, if not all, Christians live with the great bait and switch, especially within uh, Protestant evangelicalism and Pentecostal circles as well. And what I mean by that is this. Most Christians believe that they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but that the Christian life itself is lived on the basis of law. And what I mean by that is that they believe, in fact, they are told to believe that while they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, once they come up out of the waters of baptism, that they are to begin to relate to God on the basis of law regarding their finances. They are told that they must relate to God now on the basis of law regarding church attendance. They are told that they must relate to God on the basis of law, even, in many cases, in their dietary issues, their dietary laws. And they are told that they must relate to God on the basis of law as far as there are certain Christian seasons and days and festivals and things that they must be prepared to comply with in order to remain in favor with God. God. It's simply a reality, and people's lives, Christian lives, whole families reflect this mindset. Many Christians are not even conscious that they're living under that kind of slavery. They think that they are Christians, they they believe that they are going to heaven. But they are laboring under this, these human rules, these human commandments. So, of course, what I mean by that is that, for instance, let's take one of these examples. Once they are saved, once they are in Christ, they, no one would tell them that they, had, they are saved by law. They'll tell them, no, 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 you're saved by faith, and by, by receiving Christ into your heart, or some other reductionist form of understanding of the gospel. And then, but, but you must begin to tithe 10% of your gross income on the basis of Malachi chapter 3 in order to ensure that you don't come under a curse uh, that God has set forth in that text. They say nothing about the fact that God in that text, in Malachi chapter 3, I would never diminish the veracity of the text. It is scripture. It just isn't covenantally applied to those who are in Christ. Let's read that text, Malachi chapter 3. Beginning with verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, replies God. You are under a curse. Now listen carefully. Your whole nation. Who is God addressing there in that text? Is he addressing the individual family in Christ? No. Is he even addressed the church? No. He's addressing the nation of Israel under the theocratic temple system. Your whole nation is under a curse because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Under the theocratic system, temple system, the Levitical system of Israel, they were required to pay a tithe. And sometimes it was, there was uh, up to 28 or 25 or 28% of the uh, average Israelites' income, usually in the form of agricultural tithes. Very seldom, if ever, was it about bringing money into the storehouse. It was meant to support the widow and the orphan, the stranger, the benevolence, and, of course, the Levitical priesthood itself to support the temple. It was very much like you and I pay today in our federal income tax, or federal and state income tax. That system, of course, is no longer in place. It is obsolete. The old covenant is obsolete if you take Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 seriously. We are now under a new covenant, and the new covenant standard for giving is willingly, in accord with how much you can afford, and not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. So the whole basis for us giving has changed, according to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We give generously, we give willingly, we give freely, and based upon not what we can't afford, there's no such thing as seed faith, you give according to what you can afford. So, the tithe thing is simply one way that this false gospel is pro promoted so that Christians immediately begin to think, now, how much of a role does your finances play in your life? A very significant role. Financial health and well-being is a great factor in your spiritual and mental health. So how we manage our finances and how we uh, live with debt and and income and do these things and manage credit are very important aspects of being a responsible adult. So when you tell a new Christian, especially, that they must now bring their finances under law, they lose immediately a sense of God's acceptance because there's always that threat of curse. Tell a single mother who has to decide whether she's going to pay the rent or, provide, or buy shoes and, and food for her children, or pay the tithe, and that puts under a tremendous amount of undue stress. It's cruel. It's slavery. And yet pastors all over the United States do that every day, every week. Single parents, people who are unemployed, People who are suffering already are told that they must continue to tithe. Uh, and charlatans like Robert Morris and Bill Johnson and even, yes, your local average evangelical pastor will tell you that you must continue to tithe. 
Charles Stanley teaches that you must tithe. And they tell you that, oh, you will be blessed if you do, so don't worry about your finances. Go ahead and give 10% of your gross income, and you will be blessed to the point where you'll be so glad you did. One church locally here in my area actually tells people, go ahead, whether you can afford it or not, give 10% of your gross income, and if you aren't blessed, after 90 days, we'll give you a refund of your tithe. They'll refund your tithe. But you can only imagine how that goes. Well, dear, gee, Pastor, I've been tithing now for 90 days, and I haven't been blessed. Nothing has changed. I still can't find a job, and we still can't pay the rent. Yeah, well, what's wrong with your faith? Clearly, there must be some hidden sin in your life. Boy, this is really an opportunity to expose what, what the weakness of your faith. This is the kind of spiritual abuse that goes on. Evangelicals around the world, but especially in the United States, adopt this reductionist form of the gospel where they preach Christ and get to pe get people in the door and then they preach law afterwards and it begins with their finances. Another example, number two, is their um, uh, church attendance. They're told, they, first of all, that they must attend church. They're not told that they must find healthy fellowship. They must bond with other Christians. They must find other people who, with whom they can share their faith and, and pray for one another, encourage one another, exhort one another. No, 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 no. They're told they must attend the church. And that by that, they mean they must attend the spectacle that goes on every Sunday morning that is typically following a business model, that is typically about maintaining that there's some kind of a public visibility. It's not about fellowship. It's not about uh, growing in spiritual intimacy with other people. It's about supporting the machine. You must attend church. And they'll quote, quote Hebrews chapter 10 to you. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. Go ahead and read that text, Hebrews chapter 10. Read it within its context and see if that's even close to what the author is saying, because he's not. But that's another example, just like tithing, how people get baited and switched. And so now their church attendance is on the basis of law, not because they want to be there. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you missed church? Did you feel guilty? Absolutely. Most Christians feel guilty if they miss church. We just celebrated Christmas. And this year, Christmas fell on Sunday. Many Christians chose to stay home and be with their families on Sunday morning. Many churches even canceled services Sunday morning in order to encourage people to stay home, which was a good thing. They could have had a service too to encourage people to come if they wanted. But that isn't what happened. Many pastors got very upset, irate, that the Lord's Day was being neglected. That the Sabbath was being neglected in favor of Christmas. I saw it on social media. I heard it. I was told it. And people are being 
told that they must attend church on Sunday and they must not neglect the Lord's Day. So don't stay home with your family on Christmas morning. Instead, come and observe the Lord's Day. Do not neglect the Sabbath. And then it goes beyond that too, because normally throughout the year, they are told also that they must come back on Sunday night. It's the faithful. The average church goers just attend on Sunday morning. The faithful come on Sunday night for Sabbath services. Now, most evangelicals may not relate to Sunday as the Sabbath, but they'll call it the Lord's Day. And so they're supposed to honor that too. Now, if you want to keep a Sabbath, if you want to have consider Sunday the Lord's Day and, and honor it as such, you're welcome to do that. But you must not set that as a standard for everyone. You must not teach or preach that, that somehow you remain in favor with God by keeping the Sabbath, by keeping the Lord's Day, by attending the spectacle that they call worship at church. So those are two examples of how Christians are taught that they are saved by grace through faith, but that the Christian life is actually lived out on your finances and in your church attendance on the basis of law. It's the great bait and switch. And there are other things too. We are now moving into springtime. Just as one other example. We are now moving into springtime. And we're coming into a time of year where this thing called Lent will begin. The season before Easter. And so Christians will be giving up certain things. There will be fasting. There will be, uh, there'll be 40 days of fasting, 40 days of this and 40 days of that. There will be programs started. And people will be observing Lent. And they'll be uh, doing these kind of things all the way up until Easter. Despite the fact that Paul says these kind of things to the Galatians in chapter 4, he says, quote, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Listen closely now. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you, says Paul, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Think of that. They were placing themselves back under the obligation to observe special days and months and seasons and years. I don't care if it's Advent. I don't care if it's um, Lent. I don't even care if it's Christmas or Easter. These are very serious things, folks. How serious are they? Well, in Galatians 5, Paul uses, he refers to circumcision here, which isn't much of an issue these days, unless, of course, you're a Presbyterian and you believe that to baptize your infants is in keeping with the Abrahamic covenant, which is a New Testament form of uh, circumcision, then, then, that, then it is an issue. You realize that? Every time a Presbyterian baptizes a child, they are 
doing so based upon the faulty theology that the Abrahamic covenant has not been fulfilled in the new covenant and that the new covenant version of the Abrahamic covenant is the baptized infants, which is a New Testament version of circumcision. See, when you begin, you begin to pull back the curtain and actually look at some of the theology, some of the theological bases for what we are taught, not only in the charismania world, but in Protestant traditionalism, you begin to realize how far away from the text of Scripture, how dishonoring of the Lord himself we have become. They have drifted so far from the dock that they can't see the land that the dock is tied to anymore. And the problem I'm worried about for you is that it has become normative to you. You think it is Christianity. You think it is just the Christian life. And it's not. So how serious are these issues, I was about to say? Well, Paul says this, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, and this applies to any application of the law, if you bring, as a Christian, as one in Christ, if you bring yourself under the law regarding your finances, regarding your church attendance, regarding your dietary uh, requirements, regarding certain seasons and days and months, I'm telling you, Paul says, listen carefully now, Christ will be of no value to you at all. You can't have it both ways, folks. You can't, you cannot be saved on the basis of grace through faith in Jesus alone and then bring your life, your Christian life, your daily experience of the Christian life under law. Christ will suddenly be of no value to you Again, he says in verse 3, I declare to everyone who lets himself be circumcised or have to tithe or have to go to Sunday Sabbath services or have to be careful not to eat pork or keep the feasts or keep Advent or keep Lent or even do Sunday church attendance at the spectacle as a matter of requirement and obligation to remain in God's favor. See, that's the deal. The tithing, the Sabbath-keeping, the dietary issues, the observance of seasons and, and months and Sabbaths and days and years, those are all designed to place your acceptance before God in question if you do not do them. It's another gospel. It's a cruel heresy, but it has become so common, it has become so typical, it has become so prevalent within the charismatic world and within Protestant traditionalism, I fear that we have just simply accepted it as normative. And so the average Christian will come stumbling into my office, their life is a train wreck, their relationships are train wrecks, and, and they don't even question the fact that perhaps... Their theology is the culprit. But you begin to get a skewed view of God like that, because that's exactly what that does. Bringing your Christian life under law will skew and distort your image of God, your, your view of God, and you will begin to reflect that in your relationships with other people around you. And it's all downhill from there, folks. 
Not to mention the fact that Paul is very vividly clear. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So how serious is this? Am I just ranting and raving? <laughs> no, not at all. I am offering you pastoral care at a very significant point in your spiritual and mental and familial health. Paul is saying, if you bring yourself under the tithe, if you bring your, an application, if you bring yourself under the tithe, if you bring yourself under the Sabbath laws, if you bring yourself under the dietary laws, if you bring yourself under observing days and seasons and months and years, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And your life will look like it. You will have fallen away from Christ and from grace and your life will look like it. So take this seriously, folks. It is through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which he hopes. we hope, he says. Read the book of Galatians. Read it thoroughly and understand that he's not talking about how we're converted. He's talking about how we are told to live the Christian life. And sadly, most of you today are bewitched. If you're tithing, you're bewitched. If you're keeping the Sunday Sabbath, you're bewitched. As a matter of mandatory behavior. If you want to pay 10% of your gross income to the church, do so. Do so freely. And do so in accord with what you can afford. But don't be told that you have to do so in order to maintain favor with God or that you must keep Sunday as a Sabbath, or come back on Sunday night for the Sabbath services in order to prove that you're really a Christian, or that you must not eat pork, or that you must clean out your closets from anything that's not kosher, your pantry, or that you must somehow keep certain Sabbaths or seasons or dates or Advent or Lent or anything else during the Christian calendar. Or that you must submit to a priest, a sacrificing priest for reconciliation and absolution. These are all things that bring you back under the law, and Paul can't be... He said, mark my words, didn't he? Mark my words. I, Paul, so this isn't Rick telling you this, this is Paul. Mark my words. I tell you that if you let yourself be come under any of these things in application of the text, Christ will be of no value to you. You'll be obligated to keep the whole law, not just part of it. And if you fail to keep the whole law, you are back under a curse, truly. Don't go there. Christ has become a curse for you. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law, having become a curse for you. And clearly, no one, he says in Galatians 3.11, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13, of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. 
He took the curse of Malachi 3 upon himself, so you never have to deal with it. He took the curse of breaking the Sabbath upon himself, so you never have to deal with it. He took the curse of not keeping the Sabbath and the feasts and the, and the seasons and the days, so that you never have to deal with it. You have been set free by the blood of Jesus himself, and don't allow any pastor or elders or group of people to tell you that you're back under the curse. Don't let them do that to you. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And the Spirit has now worked the law into our minds and our hearts and our wills so that we have a new nature and the righteous requirement of the law is no longer met in external compliance but in a new heart, a new nature that longs to do the will of God in sacrificial love for others. This is what it means to be in Christ, to long to do the will of God as Christ did and to sacrifice yourself for others in loving care and concern and action. This is the Christian life. And against such, there is no law. Amen.